All right, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast, and we've missed you. I'm so sorry. Uh, we had a little bit of a, you know, uh, Dan was inactive for a couple of games there uh, with with something, and uh, and you know, then I was away and traveling a little bit, and so we we missed a little bit, but we're here to wrap it all up for you and get ready for the Steelers. How are you feeling, Dan? We're recording here today on Saturday before the Buffalo Bills return to home against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm excited to get going. I'm excited to get going too, man. This is like generally speaking, and you know this about me because we've been friends for so long, my favorite time of the year. So it's a Saturday, pre-Bills pre 1 o'clock home game at Highmark, which is like classic fall activity for me. Baseball playoffs also happening today. And we got college football happening today. And while the Bills dropped a really tough one that we're going to talk about to Miami before coming back against the Ravens, my JMU football dukes, my friend, are getting yeah. votes in the AP Top 25 after their comeback win against App nice. State is one of the best teams in the country. So fall thus far has been good to me. It's been good to our Buffalo Bills. I love this time of year. And man, I'm just ready to talk some football. Excellent. Uh, go Dukes. Um, so <laughs> go Dukes. Here, here we go. Uh, let's start and, and kind of... There's, there's everybody who's listening to the podcast will have already mulled over and chewed up this Miami game, you know, through and through. And I think that Twitter's done a good job of it. We've done a good job of it. It was an excellent palate cleanser to win against the Ravens uh, last weekend. And so, um, but really, all we need to say is uh, Miami finally beat Buffalo Bills third stringers, and that was their Super Bowl. Um, and Tua definitely had a concussion in that game that they, uh, you know, illegally cleared, you know, at his peril. And then he came, you know, he got hit again and went to the hospital the following week on Thursday night, um, which, you know, is awful. I don't wish anybody injury or harm. Um, and it seems like the, the NFL really messed this one up uh, with him and his safety. But, yeah, the Buffalo Bills completely dominated in terms of time of possession, yardage, um, almost every offensive stat against the Dolphins and still lost it heartbreakingly at the end, 21 to 19, could not get the uh, you know ball in play or out of bounds uh, to stop the clock. Time expired when they were moving into position to, to make a winning field goal. Um, what, what are your kind of general thoughts on that game? Uh, you know, it, it was the most heartbreaking game I've ever seen in terms of Bill's and for that matter, Dolphins injuries. Everybody was going down. I don't think I'd ever seen anything like it in the NFL where every play somebody was on the turf getting tended to by trainers. It was nuts. It was crazy. And it was, I mean, it was just pure attrition on the field. I mean, at this point, the heat, the humidity, at one point it reached over 112 degrees on the field in Miami for that game. There's just a war of attrition and, and a fluky type of game. In the opposite way, I think, that the cold and the wind affected the Bills-Pats primetime game last year, this was just another weird weather game for the Buffalo Bills, who had already been depleted by injury. Miami was already up for this game. Like, as you said, this was their Super Bowl, and all the pregame hype coming into it was, we're finally going to beat Josh Allen, we're finally going to beat McDermott, we're finally going to beat the Bills, it's a new era with McDaniel, Tua's coming into his own. And, you know, I think I think people left that game not feeling like the better team won, right? Like Miami, as we had said, hanging into that game, had a, has a very middling defense this year, which is surprising because much of their personnel has not turned over year to year. And we said, we characterized them pregame as a bend but don't break defense. And that's exactly what happened. Um, throughout the course of that game the bills would drive they collected close to 500 yards of total offense on 90 plays in that game um but ultimately couldn't couldn't close the door on the dolphins with the myriad of red zone opportunities that they had key protection breakdowns for allen specifically coming from spencer brown who left that game with heat exhaustion um also proved to be untimely for the bills throughout the course of the game it was very i felt like i was almost watching a 2021 game because it felt like the Bills were really struggling at times in the red zone, which we saw a lot last year. Protection was breaking down in opportune times. The offensive line was making a lot of mistakes. The defense was doing what they could to put the brakes on that Miami offense. But turnovers, 
Um, poor first half play as has been kind of a hallmark, which we'll talk about here when we get into the Ravens game of the Buffalo Bills this season, all just kind of added up to what was just a really fluky game. Like I left that game feeling like I had no different conclusions about those two teams that I had. I didn't leave that game feeling like Miami was out and out the best team in the division. And I didn't leave that game feeling like the Bills acquitted themselves super poorly given the conditions. In a lot of ways, there were a lot of moral victories I think the Bills could have taken from that game. Um, and there's a lot of stuff they could have definitely improved on. I think when Miami comes to Buffalo in December, it, I think it's going to be a different story whether or not Tua is or is not on the field uh, because the Bills really felt like they were the better team that game and they felt like they let one get away and they're going to have revenge on their mind in a few weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. And, I, you know, just to kind of kind of put a bow on some of the injury stuff um tommy doyle finished that game the last seven or eight snaps with a torn acl in his knee and so like that's the kind of there was no you know, there was no reserve offensive lineman to come in for him he knew he was messed up but he you know toughed it out and went back on the field because the bench was clear there wasn't yeah. a single other hog molly you know um as they like to say to to bring in to to spell him and, and let him get you know attended to um they were to the point where if anybody else went down with a significant a more significant injury that they literally couldn't hobble out there and play with it would have been like reggie gilliam you know playing guard and yep. or you know dawson knox i think dawson knox was even out at that point um dawson knox had missed yeah. some time at that point yep so, it would have been Case Keenum. Yeah. Case Keenum, I think, is the only dude on the yes. 53 that didn't play that game. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. It was really rough. And, you know, I agree with you that the December game against the Dolphins is going to it's going to be a revenge tour, especially if a lot of those players are back in and healthy. Um, and, again, you and I were texting like crazy about this. The Bills continue to suffer a lack of investment at the interior offensive line position of meaningful draft picks. They yep. have not picked anybody for that position since they picked and what I believe is, you know, completely whiffed on Cody Ford. And it's just, it, they're paying now. I mean, Roger Saffold looks washed. I'm sorry. He was supposed to be this like road grading run blocker who suffers in pass blocking. He has not looked true to form in any, you know, any of the games this year to his prior years or his pro bowl appearances. Um, he looks like the Titans were right to move on from him. And the same for Questenberry. You know, I, I think that the Titans are a team that I, you know, don't particularly like, but I do trust that they know what they're they're working with when it comes to offensive line talent. And the fact that they let both those guys walk in free agency um, didn't worry me over the summer. I was, you know, always trusting Big Baller Bean to come up, you know, and be the victor mm -hmm. in all transactions. But again, I think the Bills really need to revisit the interior offensive line in a meaningful way in the draft. Uh, you know, Mitch Morse is not getting any younger. We've seen him, you know, go down in a couple of games, even if, if it's just for a few snaps right. um, this year. And so um, they really need some an inf injection of youth and talent. I think Ryan Bates, you know, they didn't want him to, to get poached by the Chicago Bears, but he has not looked above average in any way. Um, and I've even seen, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about the Ravens, Deion Dawkins was – he was an Iron Man for that Dolphins game, and again played the entire game against the Ravens. In both of those games, I saw him get beat badly a number of times, and I think at least part of it is that he's sort of overcompensating to try to protect the interior gap for Saffold. Agreed. Uh, and that's you know that's going to spell disaster all the time. Yeah, and the issues under center, I I don't think we can stress enough because Mitch Morse is a top three center in the league, right? Uh, when he's healthy and when he can play and but we saw pass yeah. blocking and pulling i want to yes. i want to stress he is not <clears throat> a power interior center who's good at he's not even that great at the qb sneak because he's not huge he's not a massive center so he right. struggles on short yardage he's excellent in athleticism blocks and he's excellent at pass blocking so continue sorry yeah no 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 that's fine i'm it, it's a it's an important point of clarity right um, and he also, because of the the time he has spent in this offense, um, he knows the protections to call. Uh, he can take a lot of that off Allen, even though Allen has improved dramatically pre-snap, as we've talked about. But then there's just the mechanics of the snap that we have seen fail the Bills when Morse isn't in the game. I mean, case in point, the bobbled snap at the end of the first half against Miami, which could have realistically cost them a field goal opportunity, 
it's it's a, it's a clear spike situation, and they're going to run Bass out there to kick a field goal at the end of the half. Instead, Allen bobbles the snap and has to chuck it recklessly to the sideline. Uh, could have been an easy pick six, but thank God for Stefan Diggs. But time expires at the end of the first half. Poor execution started at the point of snap. So this is something that against good teams that can pressure the Bills on the interior, this is something that's going to conti- continue to rear its head until that until that front five can get can get healthy get some reps in and get some chemistry going and you, you really do wonder if the bills make a move at the trade deadline if they're gonna go out and they're gonna bring in uh another interior guard pre- interior offensive line presence i think they really are at that point you know and it's stunning because we've seen there are two things that we have consistently criticized being for in the roster build lack of cornerback depth lack of offensive line depth Finally, this year, we see an investment in the cornerback position through the draft. And we get Benford, who unfortunately broke his hand in that Miami game. We get Elam, who is locked down is a little bit of an exaggeration, but he's been great, right? He's, he's been really great. solid. Yeah. So now Dane Jackson, after that really, really worrisome neck injury that he suffered against the uh, Titans, is back in the lineup. We know at some point we're going to get Trey. So now if you ask me how do I feel about our DB depth when Trey gets back, we got Trey White, a much more polished and experienced Dane Jackson, a baller and press man coverage maven in Kyer Elam, and then Christian Benford, who might go down in history as like the best DB sixth round pick in history, yeah. plus Taron Johnson, who is the best nickel. So even just a couple of a couple of a couple of draft picks with a quick injection of youth, and all of a sudden what was a problem last year is looking like a point of strength for the Bills when they're at full strength. We haven't seen that, as you have pointed out rightfully, with the offensive line. You've got to wonder if the Bills can really can really afford to stand pat as they're looking at a season where they're looking to make a, make a Super Bowl run, if they can really stand pat with the offensive line structure as it is. I could I could see them... I could see them giving up a, some draft capital to go out and get a, a reliable veteran who might be on the market. The thing that is so hard about that, and, and we talk about this all the time, is that there's not just offensive line. There's not strong, young offensive line players at any of the three positions, tackle, guard, or center, who are just sort of sitting out there available or that teams are willing to give up. Even rebuilding teams want to build around those guys because they'll have, if they have a young quarterback, they need a dependable protector you know, in front of them. And so it's really tough to find somebody who's available you know, I I wonder if the the move is to just every Tuesday you bring in three or four veterans that are late career, sitting on the edge of retirement guys. Daryl Williams is still out there. You know him. He's actually looked better at guard than either Saffold or um, Ryan Bates has this year. Uh, you know Butker's going to be coming back from his uh, torn Achilles at some point, but it probably isn't going to be until like week 15 or 16, I think. Right. Yeah, so he could help with a playoff push. And so really it's just, you know, who's out there? It's it's that's I think one of the positions I think it's much much easier to find uh wide receiver, running back, cornerback, safety. Um yeah, I think it's much easier to find those skill positions out out there somewhere and even available as trade bait, uh, than it is to find dependable offensive or defensive line for that matter. I think the Bills are pretty set at defensive line. This week they re signed Justin Zimmer and Ilianku, uh, and cut Prince Amelie, uh, and the other player, I can't remember, um, that w- played meaningful snaps for them, which I think most of Bill's Mafia is pretty excited to get Justin Zimmer back. Uh, back for sure. Fold. Yeah, he had an injury injury settlement uh, that he was coming back from, and you know, as soon as he's ready and healthy, they, they got him back on the, the practice squad. So mm-hmm. um, I think that they have great depth in a lot of positions, but I'm really worried about this offensive line. Well, and, 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 you know, to put, to put a bow on this conversation, because we are, we are doing our typical Bills fans thing. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they're three and one, they've had played three games out of their first four on the road of four of their first six before the buy are going to be on the road. Right. And and they're sitting there at three and one uh, atop the division and atop the conference, but we're right to bring this up, and I will always defend us for bringing up the offensive line because when you look at the teams they're they're inevitably going to to come to blows with in the postseason, we've already seen that Miami um, with Melvin Ingram and some of the the unique pass rushers, athletic guys they have on that team 
can cause a problem for them. And it's it, the Miami thing feels like, depending on the health of Tua, the Miami thing feels like it's the, the Pats thing last year where we're going to see them three times, right? We're going to see them in December, and then we're probably going to see them again in the postseason, just the way the AFC looks like it's shaking out at this point. So so that pass rush we know is going to be problematic for our O-line as constituted now. The, the Kansas City Chiefs, man, that defense, what is literally average by every metric, DVOA, EPA, you could possibly imagine. And with a Patrick Mahomes-led offense, that is deadly. Because all the Kansas City Chiefs do, get after the quarterback and create havoc behind the line of scrimmage. That interior offensive line is going to be a problem um, yes. when, they, when, when they go up against the Chiefs here in a couple of weeks. Um, and even the Steelers, yeah, TJ Watt is out. But the Steelers have had a history of exposing the holes on the interior offensive line of the Buffalo Bills um, and 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 creating havoc behind the line of scrimmage for Josh Allen and creating a lot of confusion and a lot of stress for him back there. I mean, the spread on the Steelers game, we'll get to it, is like 14 points. I think that's insulting. Yeah. Right? Like, everyone's like, oh, the Bills are going to be pissed because they've been playing so bad in the first half. I'm like, yeah, but I think like... I think the Steelers off. I think the Steelers pass rush is going to have something to say about that too, right? So, it, so I, I'm not saying the Bills are going to lose. I've I've got them picked to win, but but the the Achilles heel of the Buffalo Bills that currently other contenders outside of Miami don't have right now is that offensive line, right? And it's something that they're gonna they're gonna have to simply address now. We, we have been wet blankets thus far throughout the course of this conversation because we're still in our Miami feelings. Again, Buffalo Bills are 3-1, three, three of their first four on the road. They have knocked off the defending Super Bowl champions. They have knocked off the former last year's number one AFC uh, seed. They've knocked off, by, by all estimation, everyone who looks at as a top three team in the AFC in Baltimore and very decisive very resilient fashion and their only loss is like this really fluky heat game against a miami dolphins team that's still figuring shit out right so offensive line stuff aside in the grand scheme of things the buffalo bills are off to the start that they needed to be in a year where they're looking to close in on a super bowl championship so jj I think it's a good a good point to to up the positivity level of the conversation and move on to what was I thought a really impressive win against a, a really impressive team in Baltimore. Um, there were a few things that I think have showed up is what I'm hoping are not habits with the Buffalo Bills, i.e., first half struggles um, and first half turnovers. But there was a lot to love, and that's the second half of that game. Um, JJ, what are some of the things that you took away from this Ravens win last week? So um, the the things that yeah, I took away, I'm gonna talk talk tape a little bit. I rewatched the game a few times, including a lot of all 22 snaps, particularly on rundowns. Um, the Buffalo Bills uh, cannot, for the life of them, win their matchups in zone blocking or power blocking schemes. Um, literally, the only blocking attempt that works for them in the in the run game is the pin pull technique, which has been successful for them for years. Um, where essentially, you know, end of the line blockers, which in this case was Khalil Shakur and uh, Gabe Davis on one snap that I saw that did really well with Devin, Devin Singletary running. Um, it's the pin pull technique where the end of the line blocker pins their linebacker or the end inside, and then the players that are heads up over those, or the offensive line players who are heads up over those assignments that are being pinned, which in this case would be the guard and, and tackle on the right or the left side sweep out around those individuals and then catch the first guy that they see come off the edge. Um, and the running back is already out there in space on a pitch or a zone, you know, a zone handoff. Those have worked really well. Uh, and they should, you know, but those are the kinds of things that if the wide receiver or tight end or whoever the end of the line blocker is doesn't pin, those get blown up in the backfield. And so whenever we see those plays happen and get blown up, strung along out, out to the, you know, um, sideline and run out of bounds or blown up in the backfield, it's because somebody hasn't pinned. Um, but that's really all they've got right now. The Bills running offense is the worst on PFF's rating and ESPN's run block win rate rating. Um, worst in the league. And so they really have to figure this out. Josh Allen cannot be their only offensive weapon in the run game. Um, and so all that negativity out of the side. I really hope they get it sorted. This is what we saw kind of all of last year until about week 14 or 15, you know, as the Bills struggling to get a run game going and 
their only actual kind of short yardage, you know, plan was a short passing game was an extension of the run, um, which still works, right? They still have an excellent offense. They're still doing it. They're propagating the ball down the field. It's just, I really worry about the, t- the hits that Josh Allen will accumulate throughout a, what they hope to be as a very long run in the playoffs. Um, if he's the only one who's able to, to tote the rock. So I, I saw that. I saw that the, the defense in the second half, um, the defense in general was excellent. They were bailing the, the Bills out of some like costly, costly turnovers early in the game against the Ravens. And then in the second half to, to really shut down the Ravens after they reached 20-3 to and allow the Bills offense to crawl back in with 20 unanswered points was absolutely flawless. All they did was they played their same exact zone defense that they had been playing. They just changed it up and mixed their coverages a little bit to try to confuse um, uh, the Ravens' offense a little bit more, and it worked. I think the weather stepped up and helped them on on defense as well. The Ravens had some offensive drives that were, you know, in a in kind of torrential downpour, and they dropped some balls and had some balls go off target um, a few times. But Lamar Jackson is dangerous as hell. I think that in a, a number of people both in kind of Bill's media and on the broadcast, we're talking about how, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, and I think they usually would mention Patrick Mahomes, are all in a league of their own in the NFL with nobody else, you know, their peers in terms of making magic happen when absolutely nobody else could make a play. And that is true. Lamar Jackson scares the hell out of me to face in any situation. And I think the Bills did a nice job of containing him. Uh, they really did, and, and you know this has been this has been the story of the Bills' first four games, and we have we've talked delicately about their first half. I think maybe attributing more strategy to it than than maybe it deserves. But every first half, every first half of every game we've seen the Bills play this season, we have said, um, "Oh well, they're fig- they're figuring out what the the primary punches of the opposing team are going to be." When in reality, I think it's more about the Bills just figuring out their own shit, right? Like, they're seeing a lot of the stuff on the field, and they're trying to adapt on the fly, which is fantastic, because the second-half adjustments they've been making have been phenomenal. Buffalo Bills have allowed only one touchdown in the second half of games through the first four games this season. They have the best point differential in the second half this year. On top of that, they're the top team in the league when it comes to third-quarter points. So they come out of the gate in the second half, with a clearly adjusted game plan and credit goes to the coaching staff for being able to implement a lot of those mid-game wrinkles and mid-game tweaks. Um, and, and this is something I think that I've noticed about McDermott has been an evolution in his coaching style. I mean, how many pods did we have where we were, where we were like, if I see another third quarter first down run with Zach Moss on first and 10, I'm going to lose my shit, right? Yep. They've gone away from the stuff very quickly that doesn't work. Now, that being said, They've got to figure out a solution for running the ball. And it, here is the key difference between those the uh, second half of last season where they figure it out and now. And it's the same difference. It's the offensive line, as we've talked about. When the Bills discovered Ryan Bates and they figured out what they were doing from an offensive uh, run-fit standpoint, um, the, the running game became so much better at the second half of last season. And Singletary really broke out and became a threat. The offensive line issues are a direct correlation between the efficacy or lack thereof of this run game. And again, I'm going to go to EPA. The Buffalo Bills on passing EPA, expected points added, every dropback are number two in the league for points added at three-tenths of a point on two and a half points. So basically the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, are a guarantee on every drive to score some kind of points, which is efficiency that's unheard of. On rush plays, the Buffalo Bills are exactly negative three-tenths of a point every time they hand the ball off. So the offense is literally canceling itself out every time the Bills choose to rush the ball in a traditional way as opposed to as opposed to pass the ball. And that shows up in their DVOA too. The Buffalo Bills offensive DVOA, they're number 10 in the league, which is unfathomable to think about when you think about the number of points they've put on the board. But with passing DVOA, they're top three in the league. Rushing DVOA, they're bottom three in the league. And that's where that difference really does come from. They're going to have to figure out something with the run game, not just for the short term in this season. Long term, you do have to worry about, are are we seeing what happened to Cam Newton in, in Carolina with Josh Allen, where are we taking years off of this dude's career because we cannot develop 
a safety valve for him, right? Where the pressure is always on him to make a play with his legs when um, passing schemes uh, and, route, and route trees break down. There's a lot of pressure on Allen, which we know he can handle. And maybe it gets the Bills to the promised land this year. But long term, you've got to start to worry about, are they taking years off this guy's career until they can figure some of this stuff out? So, so I... Again, it was a resilient, gutty win against Baltimore, and again, we're skewing negative because it, we we've played we we've gone through this before, right? We've seen the season fall apart for the past three years on these very things that we continue to talk about, right? So I, I love how we're not sugarcoating it, quite frankly. Um, man, you would think the Buffalo Bills are one and three and not three and one <laughs> with the way we have dove right into this pot, well, right? And, and leave it leave it to us to get like to act like patriots in the mid twenties. By being like, well, you know, they are undefeated, but this is a problem, and that's a problem. You know, like they—they're three. Oh my one. God, you're right. Yeah. We've become yeah. patriot. Holy We're shit! So We've... we we are so oh God. incredibly incredibly spoiled by success oh that we're just out, we're out here nitpicking a, a team that honestly, with this first six games before the bye, I, I when I really looked at you know I love to be the the seventeen and zero you know on the way to the playoffs Bills fan all off season, but. It really, I was, you know, in my heart of hearts, the true Bills fan down deep inside was like, okay, if they go four and two or even three and three, we'll be okay. Like, they'll be okay. They'll still have be built and set up for a good season. And so I'm still in that mindset. I, th- I think that they've got a couple of games ahead of them and they're looking really strong. And especially Josh Allen. I think that the, the one thing I will say that I, I have seen is I, I don't think it's sustainable to have him, you know, take the hits and, and, be the only part of the rushing attack that's working. But I will say that the thing I've very much liked about Ken Dorsey as the new offensive coordinator is that he is pressing Josh Allen to always have a relief valve with a check down to Singletary, to Moss, to Cooks. Unfortunately, Singletary is the only reliable pass catcher of the three of them. Um, and so I really hope that the two, you know, in Moss and Cooks get their, get their heads on straight. Um, and if, I mean, honestly, I would be fine with cooks being inactive, get somebody else more, even elevate Isaiah Hodgins or somebody else to the offense, because I don't think he has shown anything that he's ready for the NFL game. Um, I know he's the only lightning they have in the backfield in terms of breakaway speed, but he just, he's a liability so far. He's a liability when he's back there for pass protection. He's a liability when they send him on to pass, you know, passing, uh, routes he tends to be where he's supposed to be on the route but he he's not reliable to catch it ever and i worry about tip up interceptions when when they throw to him and shocking given it's shocking given um uh, given the caliber of play that he was able to achieve at georgia like turnover is not a thing he went yeah he went it was some sort of like insane uh georgia sec record for like 200 touches or something like that without a fumble and then in the nfl he fumbles on his very first pro touch in a meaningful game right it it really has been crazy with cook but um it you know it something that i have noticed with mcdermott which looks like a again i think an evolution in his coaching I've looked very closely at the opportunities that they're giving Khalil Shakir when Shakir is in, and when Co- and when James Cook is in the game, right? Because uh, we we joked that when a rookie messes up on McDermott's team, you're not going to see them again until their contract year. Um, yep. You know, and Shakir, who we have been very high on, he had a really rough first outing. I mean, he missed a couple of key blocks. It was clear that it was clear in that um, Tennessee game that even though the Bills ran away with that, like he was just not comfortable blocking at a pro level on the outside like Gabe Davis and Jay Kumaro are. Um, but then you started to see a little bit of improvement, right? You started to see, especially in this Baltimore game, he had a couple of really nice grabs that looked Cole Beasley-esque, nice and smooth, immediate quick plant in the ground after the catch yep. is secured, turn and yards after the catch was something the Bills have dramatically needed to improve on as well so so the trust that shakir has and then he had a couple of great uh great exterior seals on that game as well in the run game yeah so the way the mcdermott is allowing these guys to these young guys to develop on the field benford elam um shakir and even cook to some extent even though we haven't seen the level of improvement from cook as we have from the other three rookies his willingness to allow them to, to develop in real time I think is is a piece to his coaching style that again was missing and I think in the long run is going to really benefit this team this season because Khalil Shakir 
week two versus week 17 or week 18 or in the playoffs, I think is going to be a dramatically improved product. And we've only talked about the the awesome depth that that DB squad is going to have once everybody gets healthy there too. So, so I think, so long story short, I think with Cook, I'm with you, but I I don't think he gets, I don't think he gets sat, right? I don't think he gets inactive. I think the way they've brought up the other three key rookies, they're, they're going to let Cook learn on the fly they're going to let them learn on the job a little bit because they see what this dude can be in week 17 as opposed to week seven yeah no and i i I don't hate that approach we joke like you said we joke all the time about cook not seeing the field again for years i i made that joke after our first pod when he had the fumble on his first carry i was like oh he's done yeah very (laughs) apt right (laughs) but well you know i think you're right i think mcdermott just likes with his players, that whole growth mindset is evolving a little bit to, to challenge his rookies to rise above their, their struggles. And I, I want to see cook. Like I was so excited for that draft pick, even though I would have preferred an interior offensive lineman there, I was excited for it. Cause I'm like, okay, all right. Um, I'm most disappointed that they use their third round pick on Terrell Bernard, who hasn't seen the field other than special team snaps when they also probably could have had some interior lined up there. Um, I don't, Creed still, Humphrey. Yeah, Creed Humphrey. No, we, Creed Humphrey. I will the always utter his name. Yeah. The one who got so, away. Seriously, yeah. holy but crap! I, we've talked a little bit. Of, we've talked quite a lot about the offense. You know, in the the Ravens game, let's talk about the defense. Flip it to that for a second. First of all, you know, All Pro Poe is making a case for him to make a hundred million dollars a year as a safety. Um, with two interceptions, he leads the league with four on the season. He's going to be out this coming week against the Steelers, which is unfortunate, especially when they're going against rookie Kenny Pickett. But in the Ravens game, everyone knows he made a tip-up interception. You know, I think it, Prince Emili uh, tipped the ball, uh, yep. and, and Poe brought it down, who was up there on a, on a uh, uh, blitz as a safety. Um, and that was amazing. And then pretty much sealed the game, you know, on the fourth and two from the from the Bills end zone. Uh saw that Devin Duvernay was sitting uncovered in the back corner of the end zone and covered 20 yards in just the time the ball was traveling to make that interception. Something that I think that both of us would agree in the Dolphins game, the two rookie safeties, you know, did not have that sort of preternatural sense of awareness of being like, okay, there's a, that's where the ball's going. I'm going to get there because they gave up that huge third and 22 to Jalen Waddle. To Jalen Waddle. I was just thinking that, yeah. Either Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer probably would have shut down because on that play, the safeties took the bait of the two outside. um, Absolutely. Releasing receivers and started cheating towards, you know, towards the candy when the real kind of treasure was straight up the straight up the seam and they got burned on it so it i mean it was awesome but the one thing i want to make a real note about of the defense is one the defensive line even with practice squad call-ups continues to bring the heat and i love that they're excellent in their pass rush right now and i'm really excited for phillips and uh and oliver to get back on the field and hopefully they're both up for this week um but um the one thing i want to say about the defense is that milano and edmonds were aside from poyer they were the difference makers in that game um kairulam had a great game in coverage but milano and edmonds did more to shut down lamar jackson than anyone else uh i think i talked about it in a previous pod every young um defensive player in the league should just watch or anyone entering in the draft should just watch film on matt milano to learn how to tackle in the nfl because mm-hmm. that dude, at, at least once or twice per game, makes some, a huge stick that is perfect in form. And perfect, he might be the most, you know, he might be the most underrated player in the league. And and, yeah, and I say that he might be, yeah. I, I I say that knowing full well that I'm a complete homer and have been on the Milano train for forever. We, we might look back years from now as we hopefully talk about, you know, Buffalo Bills success. I'm not going to say say the SB word, but as we look back on this team's hopeful success, we're going to look at his re-signing and his evolution in McDermott's defense is hopefully a big reason why. That dude, he he just has everything. And Edmonds, I I mean, I don't know how Bina's going to do this, but Edmonds is due, Oliver is due, Poyer is due, and all three of those guys have have really, to me, cemented their case in the first quarter of the season on why they are essential to this defense and the way they operate. I I don't know where Big Baller Bean is going to find the money to bring back all three. So you wonder who's going to be the cap casualty here. 
Sadly, um, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess it's Poyer because of the trust that Bean has in McDermott and Frazier to develop secondary talent. They've done so much with late round picks, Benford, Dane Jackson. They've you know brought Jaquan Johnson and Demar Ham- Hamlin along. I feel it makes it breaks my heart because I'd love for nothing more than Poyer to be back. But for in real. terms of the the value per dollar at the for the position, safety is not more valuable than middle linebacker, and definitely not more than down lineman, and on the defensive line. And Oliver and Edmonds were both first round picks. And draft, develop, and resign your own is it it lends more in their favor than Poyer, who was a free mm-hmm. agency addition, you know, uh, in McDermott's first year. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that all after the, the cap, you know, after the cap is set and, and the off season reaches us. But for right now, I agree with you. Those three have all made a case that there's no way to kind of pick, pick amongst them. It's just, I worry that that's the way that they'll rank them based on what we've seen from the front office here. Um, any other notes about the uh, Bills Ravens comeback? I mean, it was finally they they got the monkey off their back with the uh, you know one score games. They were zero and seven before that Ravens win, and now they're one and seven on the past Woo! eight. Yeah, woo! Um, but we'll, we can build on that. That's somewhere to go from. You know, it's just that is stacking, and that was keep stacking good days, as they say. Oh, you got to, and that was as impressive a close win as you could have possibly had. The comeback nature of it, the fact that it was on the road. The the context of it all with this being, again, the third road game the Bills have had in four games, the injuries, it was amazing. One more final observation from that game, and, and really, again, it goes back to your point with the improvement of the defensive line. The Buffalo Bills, who you could run on at will last year, are one of the best run defense teams in the league this year by both DVOA and EPA. Um, it, it, it's such a... It, it, the phys- it, it, and it, it seems so simplistic to say, you know, there's a physicality there, right? But you basically, you've got guys in the middle of that line and Phillips went healthy, Settle went healthy, Daquan Jones went healthy, that, that can win their matchups and really plug holes. Um, and they've played some, they've played some pretty effective run teams, right? It, LA wants to run the ball, but can't for whatever reason, right? Their offensive line issues, the lack of talent they have in the backfield, um, Tennessee lives and dies by the run and the play action. And we have already talked about what the Bills did there. Uh, Miami, Mike McDaniel is this, he's supposed to be this run game scheme type of guy, right? You know, and again, not a lot you can take away from that game because of the disparity in time of possession, but the Bills held their own there too. And then finally, this game with Baltimore, where you have a running, where you have um, a team that is schemed by Greg Roman where running play where runs play action um set up pretty much everything lamar jackson is going to do plus lamar jackson's ability to break big runs again other than a couple of a couple of um broken down coverages where jackson exposed some some ridiculous holes uh the bills did a really good job keeping their run lane discipline on defense and and i think it's going to do them really well against pittsburgh as we transition to talk about our pregame there because Pittsburgh is another team now with rookie rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett in the lineup. They're going to want to run the ball to take the pressure off their rook. And the Buffalo Bills, this is no longer a vulnerability for them. So as you're thinking about ways you're going to score on the Bills, um, they're really limiting a lot of offenses and making them one-dimensional. I think one thing, you know, one note about the Ravens that could hold them back this season, not to, you know, last year was injuries all the way. But for a few years now, something that has limited the Ravens, and we've seen this in critical games that they've played, is that Greg Roman as an offensive coordinator, and we knew this when he was the Bills' offensive coordinator, is not good at adjusting. He's not yeah. Andy Reid. He's he's not you know, um, he's not going to adjust at halftime and find a way to beat you. He comes in with his game plan. He pounds it down your throat. If that doesn't work, the Ravens are in trouble. And I think mm-hmm. you saw that in this game and that the Bills made adjustments at halftime. The Ravens didn't even sniff, you know, points again until the end of the game when it was all on the line. And then, again, critical interception by Poyer. Exactly. That drive was 15 minutes and 70 yards. It was an excellent drive, but it was mostly just Lamar Jackson executing and less about the scheme beating what the Bills were putting out there. And so, 100%. you know, I, I think that that's something, if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm, I'm pretty upset at that. And I think that, 
you know, you'll find a lot of Ravens fans who are having a hard time with Greg Roman because of that. Because when, you know, it was the same thing against the Dolphins. The Dolphins adjusted, adapted, changed their scheme, and Roman didn't have a counterpunch. Uh, and so I do agree that the Bills are one of the best coached teams in the league, and I'm very excited about that going forward. Um, and, you know, with that, are you ready to jump into the, the preview of the Pittsburgh game? I am, man. I'm ready for this. I'm just ready, like I said, for a one o'clock game in Buffalo. I know. I'm just, I'm ready for that comfort Home food, game. man. I'm ready for it. Their unis are all blue, head to toe blue, which I'm, I'm always it. excited for. Yeah. Bring back those yeah. red helmets and then I'll really I love know. it. I know. I know. So yes, this is their first home game, you know, um, since, since the home opener against Tennessee on Monday night. Uh, it's you know, three and a four on the road to start the season. So they got another home matchup here, and then they're back on the road to, at the Chiefs, which I hate Arrowhead. It just it's always such a pain in the ass when the Bills go out there. But um, let's let's see what rookie Kenny Pickett can do. He replaced former Bills backup quarterback Mitch Trubisky uh, halfway through the game last week. Could not bring the the Steelers back to win it, um, but came damn close. And it looked like he could actually get a bit of a spark out of their offense, which was surprising. Did did more with his legs. Reminds me, and I don't know if this is you know going to be too hot a take for you. Reminds me of a young baby Josh Allen in the way that he kind of oh, es- escapes oh, trouble oh. Oh, and fin- finds some room with his legs. Finish your finish your just finish your thought. I have so many <laughs> counter thoughts. Just go ahead, go ahead. All right, yeah. So uh, Kenny Pickett, and I'll say this. So he the reason I say baby Josh Allen is he might not have the same measurables, but he does have a strong arm. He, he showed that off a few times. He can really whip it. Um, he was gunslinging a little bit when it came to his throws to George Pickens. George Pickens really impresses me, by the way. That dude is a jump ball. That dude's ridiculous. Yeah, he, he's, as a rookie uh, out of Georgia, um, is crushing it in the contested catch category. The criticism of George Pickens coming out was that he had to win contested catches because he's not a great separator. I don't know that it matters because he will always come down with it. He made some sick catches in that mm-hmm. game uh, last week for the for the Steelers, so I, I'm a little scared of him. But uh, but yeah, Kenny Pickett was doing some things, man. He was doing some things, some off script stuff that I really liked. Um, and what my observations from rewatching the that Pittsburgh game was just that they you know tended to be able to, I mean, between Trubisky and Pickett, they both can make some pretty gnarly throws they have more arm talent on that team at the quarterback position than most nfl teams that i saw and that especially since compared to right before i watched the uh the jets and steelers game i had just watched the um thursday night game with (laughs) the colts and broncos which was just abysmal uh in terms of quarterback play and then watching you know kenny pickett and and trubisky kind of throw it around a little bit they did not have a super functional offense. They're pretty bad at, at scoring so far this, you know, this far into the, the season. But uh, but they both clearly have the arm strength to, to do some do some deeds if they get the right reads. So let me address your comp of yes. Josh Allen Baby and Kenny Pickett. So um, I think you're being very generous. And now that I know yeah. the context of your comment where you had gone from really atrocious quarterback play to that, right? Yes. I, yes. I, I can I can under I can understand kind of how that might have influenced that. Um I got a vibe of a of a different Buffalo Bills QB when I watched Pickett play. And that was uh one Ryan Fitz, Fitzpatrick. Oh so okay. yes. So um Kenny Pickett uh didn't have a single ball dropped on any of his thirteen pass attempts. However, he went ten for thirteen throwing three picks out of his 13 attempts right uh accuracy is his name for sure um here's what i noticed about pickett yes he can make some things happen with his legs like fitzpatrick can um you know there's a little bit of alex smith to his game too like that that that's the comp place that i'm in right now with pickett potentially who are serviceable starting quarterbacks had some playoff success right for whatever reason teams are always looking to move on from them right um with pickett he is un, unlike Trubisky, who I, I was re- and I was really surprised by this because you mentioned Trubis- Trubisky's athleticism and and arm strength. Trubisky was really struggling to push the ball downfield, and I don't know if it was you know post snap confusion. I don't know if it was pre snap misreads, but but Pickett, with almost reckless abandon, 
has no problem pushing the ball downfield. And while I think he's going to throw more than one pick on Sunday, I think he presents a unique challenge, again, with Poyer being out and Hyde being out and a couple of young safeties back there. Um, Claypool and Pickens, I think, are going to... I think they're going to have some room to operate in the Buffalo Bills zone scheme. Uh, Pickett holds on to the ball a little bit long, which could bode well for the pass rush. It could be a multi-interception, multi-sack game. Um, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see what Pickett does against this Buffalo Bills defense. Vegas doesn't seem to think he's going to do anything because the spread on this game is offensive. I think it's like yeah. upwards of 14 points, which in the NFL, I, I mean, it's... Re- to see a spread like that, if I'm the Steelers, like I'm, I'm pissed. Especially because I'm, I'm going to a place in Buffalo where I won on their turf last year. Yep. Granted, T.J. Watt not in the lineup, lots of, lots has changed. But, and you hear the confidence that the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive group has in Pickett. Um, you know, I, I think it was Claypool who said, um, you know, we're, we're, we finally know that it was something to the effect of, we finally know that we can be a threat downfield with this guy in the lineup. And whenever you're testing downfield, you need exceptional safety play. And right now, that's somewhere where the Buffalo Bills continue to be vulnerable because of their injury situation. So I, I, I'll i be interested to see if Pickett takes any shots early and often to test Hamlin and test Johnson at the back of coverage. Um, and I, I could see him targeting Pickens easily 12 times in this game, right? Like those two seem to have an immediate chemistry, an immediate desire to work together that I think is going to be very interesting to see how the Bills scheme and handle for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's the thing I'm, you know, I'm worried about, but also I'm not, I'm not that worried about the, the production. I, I like what Pickett was putting out there, but I'm not that worried about the production coming at them from, you know, the passing attack of Pittsburgh because the Pittsburgh offensive line is pretty bad. They're like actually bad. They're one of the worst offensive lines the bills have faced this year and with the bills pass rush and with the possibility of of a hungry ed oliver coming out coming back from an injury um and you know uh, phillips jordan phillips also possibly coming back daquan jones has been eating in the middle all season he's an unsung hero for sure of that defense and so i they were struggling to get to spring Najee harris in the run they were definitely struggling a little bit more in pass protection and so, you know, with Pickett being a rookie, with the Bills defense being so well coached and mixing things up and confusing him pre and post snap, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be a, it might be really, really bad, a really bad day for Kenny Pickett. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. He's got Deontay Johnson's a burner, Chase Claypool's solid, um, and George Pickens looks like the real deal. Um, if he can get the ball out to them, I, they may be able to turn, you know, turn some points over. But I just boy it if you know it sucks because i've been sucked into this trap before of looking at it on paper and be like oh my gosh there's no way and then every every any given sunday man any given sunday any but given yeah, su- and we we saw yeah. week one last year against this yep. very same pittsburgh steelers team so yep. yeah I, I, the steelers and, and i don't know if it's brand recognition i don't know if it's my respect for tomlin but even with the struggles that they have had this season they're pretty much middle of the pack top 15 and a lot of different statistical categories. Um, your point to the offensive line, though, I think is a huge key to the game, especially with this improved Buffalo Bills pass rush, because not only does it impact Pickett and his ability to get the time that he needs to look downfield for, for long-developing routes, uh, the Steelers have not been able to get much run going with their run game this season either. So it, I could see... I could see a scenario where it's close. I could also see a scenario where the Buffalo Bills offense simply pours it on because the Pittsburgh Steelers defense is so banged up in the secondary as well, yeah. where Najee Harris is just a non-factor because they got to put it on picket shoulders. Um, I, I could see either scenario playing out. I could see a close Bills win or a blowout Bills win. I have a harder time thinking the Steelers are going to win this game, but like you said, any so... given Sunday, fluky stuff happens. So where I see where I see the Steelers being able to keep it close is that their defensive line is very good. They have, I mean, even without TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Tyson Alualu, Larry Ogunjobi, Chris Wormley, they all look strong, and they've been doing good things. You know, I mean, they're middle of the middle of the pack statistically, sure, but 
I've, you know, watching them on tape, you can see that the defensive line is winning their matchups. They're getting beat mm-hmm. because the linebackers in the second level are not great in coverage, even with Miles Jack and Devin Bush there. Devin Bush looks lost in coverage often. Oh, um, yeah. But he's still young in his career. And then, like you said, they've they've really struggled to keep their players on the field in terms of, you know, their defensive backfield. But Minka Fitzpatrick, just like, you know, um, Micah Hyde and Jordan Porter for the, for the Bills, Minka Fitzpatrick can cover up a lot of ills back there. He flies around and, and is excellent. And he's up for this game. Um, it looks like Terrell Edmonds, uh, Tremaine Edmonds' brother, might be down. He's, mm-hmm. he's questionable. Um, and their other their corners, you know, are Levi Wallace and Akella Witherspoon. Cameron Sutton plays, you know, some different positions. Um, I am actually super curious to see who is playing over um, over Diggs. And if it's Levi Wallace, that matchup will be fascinating because they know each other very, very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 110%. And I I could see Diggs wanting the ball pretty much every drop back yes. if that is if that is in fact the case. Yes. I'm fascinated to watch that matchup. Um and I think as you had mentioned even though the Steelers right now don't appear to be a a better than average team, I'm really interested to see how this offensive line holds up finally being able to be at home for yes. what feels like a regular start time. It's going to be a good test for that offensive line, especially heading into the Kansas City game. Um, you would hope the Bills have revenge on their mind from what happened week one last year. And I think, it, you know, for me, I just want to see the Bills start cleaner in the first half of a game. You know what I mean? I don't right. think we've, I don't think we've, even in the Tennessee game, while the Buff, while the Bills were moving up and down the field, they had turnovers, they had muff snaps, right? It, was, it wasn't clean. They didn't really put that game away until the second half. I want to see the Buffalo Bills on offense come out and execute well at home for sure. Um, I, I'm going to be yeah. fascinated to watch the Wallace and Diggs matchup, but again, I'm more fascinated to watch how we handle this pass rush because it disrupted so much of the game plan week one last year. And even without TJ Watt, like you said, there's some formidable guys on that defensive yeah. line that could make cover up for a Cam, lot of holes. Cam Hayward has eaten the Bills lunch for three seasons now. I mean, regardless, he's got of five and a half sacks this yeah. season, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. He, like yeah. he's having a monster year. And, and that's even in the face of, you know, regardless of the outcomes, when he's played the Bills, he's done very, very well individually. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that changing with him going against basically anybody. On the, I, I can't think of a, a matchup for Cam Hayward where he's going to struggle unless he's double teamed by Deion Dawkins and Roger Saffold. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only scenario. It's, yep. it, it's going to be so interesting to see. Um on the offensive side of the ball, if the if the Bills can get Allen even a modicum of time, um, I would. I if they can get him even a modicum of time, it just feels like it just feels like especially early on in that Ravens game, it was a lot of safety valve stuff. It was a lot yeah. of checkdowns because teams are still playing that cover two shell. They're daring the Bills to run the ball, and the Bills can't run the ball. You I don't wonder. See that. And, 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 and I don't see that improving this yeah. game, right? Yeah. I don't see that improving this game. So when I, when I look at like a path to success for the Bills, it's going to be turning those screens that have been way more yeah. effective this season into an yes. extension of their run game, which will hopefully then open some things up for Diggs. Um, Gabe Davis also looks like he's going to be healthy and ready to go this game. He's going to be less hobbled than he has been the past couple of weeks. Davis and his blocking, especially with Kumaro out, are essential to the screen game and the run game. And then, of course, he's our best second option on the outside as well. So it's going to be interested, interesting to see how the Bills handle some of this on offense because they're going to have opportunities and they're going to have options. But this does not feel like a, this does not feel like a get-right game for the run game at this point. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's going to be the kind of thing that um, I see the defense playing a bigger role in whether or not this is a blowout. If they give up some long gainers to Pickens and, you know, Claypool and Deontay Johnson, especially with that speed, then I can see the, the Steelers hanging in quite a bit more. But if the defense locks it down and gets some early sacks or turnovers on Pickett, Pickett, this might just be, you know, this might be a boat race. It could um, be. Yeah. And I want to see. Oh, I was just saying, I'm looking forward to seeing Elam on Pickens. Um, yes. Because I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Those are two really physical guys. And when you look at what Pickens can do prior to have us having Elam on the roster, I would tell you that we didn't have a DB 
that could match up physically and athletically with that guy. But I feel like we do finally in Elam. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see that matchup play out. Yeah, and um, they, did they play each other in college? They must have, right? Georgia and Florida? Florida and Georgia, yeah, they must have. Okay, um, so in uh, Pickens was not playing in the game uh, last October. They played October 30th. Uh, and Pickens wasn't in, yeah. Pickens wasn't right. playing because I think he was injured at the time. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we we really need to we uh it would have been nice to pull some college stats off of this to yeah. see how they did, but well, that's gonna be a physical matchup. I over under two two and a half flags on Elam for pass interference. Oh <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that like I said before, Pickens is not is not great at uh at separating, but he is great at jump balls. I can see some some offensive and defensive pass interference flags hitting hitting the turf. That's going to be some physical um, yeah. stuff. I can't wait to see it. Me too. So do you want to do some uh, predictions? I do. I want to do predictions sure to go wrong. <laughs> I know. Me too. Yeah, our, <laughs> our predictions on the Miami game, just to recap, um, were all all wrong except for Josh Allen was going to be the leading rusher. We got every single one of our predictions wrong for that game. We didn't do them because, again, you know, we missed a week with the pod. Sorry and apologies for that. Um, but let's go with predictions for the Pittsburgh Steelers at Buffalo Bills on October 9th. That's tomorrow. At home for Buffalo, 1 p.m. Um, I'll start. I think the Bills are going to win. Um, and I think the Bills are going to cover the, the – I think they're going to go over. I think the under has won every every bit this season. All five but games. I, yeah. Or four games, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm in boat race territory. And so I think that the Bills uh, win 38-13, to 13, which will literally put them just over. Um, at 51 points the the line right now is sitting at 48 wow so I 48 see, yeah okay. so i see i see the bills covering by like just absolutely destroying this team um i think they're gonna this is gonna be a get right game in terms of proving that they're dominant and getting another afc win it, so this is the type of game the bills have to absolutely win especially before going on the road against kansas city who is your no pun intended your chief uh competition in the afc like the steelers even for as well coached as they are this is the type of team that elite conference teams ultimately beat so i agree yes. with you i think the bills win ah. Man, I don't know. Those guys in Vegas are way smarter than me. I've talked myself into thinking Kenny Pickett can deliver potentially a a, a good performance, like a like a two passing TDs, one rushing yeah. TD, and two pick type of game. But um, I think at the end of the day, between what you're telling me, what Vegas is telling me, and and what my heart is telling me, I think we're in blowout territory too. Um, I will take the under on this though. Because uh, I think the the final score ends up being something more akin to like a thirty one to seventeen game, okay. uh, which would mean that the Bills would not cover because the spread in this game is what is fourteen and a half. What is oh, no yeah. the spread? The point spread. The spread four, fourteen and a half. Is it fourteen and a half? So that means the Bills would not cover. Uh, they'd win by fourteen, but um, I, I feel like that's where this game is more more than likely headed somewhere in that territory. Okay. It looks like uh, the live spread has dropped a little bit. It opened at nine points. It's down to six and a half. Is that right? No, no. It's 14 still. Never mind. The Vegas yeah. odds are still 14. Wow. Yeah, they, and that's been consistent all week. Yeah. That, that's yeah. been a consistent line that's, all week. That's so high. Okay. Yeah, so you're, you're doing the under. Yep. I'm taking yeah. under on the points, and I'm saying the Bills don't cover, but they win by a couple yep. of scores. Yep. Cool. What uh, Do you have any prop bets you'd like to make? Yeah, Kyer Elam, um, first INT of his career. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yep. one that I I missed on uh, against the Dolphins. Yeah, I, I I think I think Pickett is going to hang on to the ball for a bit. I yep. think he's going to force it to Pickens as we we saw last week. And I think Elam, if in the right place, he's a great physical matchup for Pickens. I I could see Elam getting his first one. I'm gonna say Ed Oliver's plus one sack. Amen. We need that. We need that. Yep. Um, it, this feels like this feels like a game where the Bill that Bills defensive line it, they should really bring pick bring pick it down five even six times. Yeah. This feels like God, a. I, hope so. a I, I mean, if you don't with an offensive line that is in the condition that Pittsburgh is, eh, I don't know, man. That again, that defensive line, especially with all these pieces coming back, 
I'm going to say, I'm going to put it at over under four and a half total sacks for the Bills. And I'm, I'm going to take the over. I think five is the, yeah. the, the floor on this thing. Wow. All right. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say under four and a half. I think it's more like a three, three. I, I want it to be 10, but I think it's a three. Um, yeah. And I could see that, especially, especially with pickets. Um, what did you call it? Josh Allen mobility, Josh Allen, like mobility. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that could legitimately create some problems. Yeah. Well, the thing I think I, I, the thing I know about Pickett is what I've seen in so many other rookie quarterbacks and especially rookie quarterbacks who've come out recently is that that dude will bail out of a clean pocket so fast that, you know, even if he holds the ball a really long time, he's usually out in space with it. So he's kind of whipping him out of bounds, probably might get an intentional grounding penalty here or there just to avoid the sack. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to, I want them to bury him 10 times, but uh, but I'm going to take the under and say they, they get him three. Okay. All right. That, that's modest. You, you, and, and you've called these these line matchups way better than I have. I'm just like, I, on paper, that Steelers offensive line is bad. And I really yeah. do think the Bills and their the caliber of defensive guys they're bringing to the table should be able to do something with that. But then coaching, conditions, all that stuff comes into play. So, well, yeah, and, I, 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 I could see it go either way. I think the saving grace for him to not get brought down a bunch of times is that just like um, the Dolphins, I mean, Tua has a ridiculous, ridiculously fast release. Pickett doesn't, but you know, Tannehill has always been an incredibly sackable quarterback. But teams, when they're facing the Bills with their pass rush and knowing how strong it is, they tend to scheme it specifically to stop the sacks. Right? Yeah. Like they scheme it so quick, quick releases, lots of rollouts, lots of. You know, very, very obvious, you know, if it's not here, it's there. If it's not there, throw it away. You know, like they try to avoid the negative play because mm-hmm. they know the bills are coming for them with the four front four every time. Do you think with a rookie, do you think with a rookie QB, do you think Frazier dials up some of those blitz packages that prior to his time in Buffalo, he was really known for? Like they, they blitzed yeah. Lamar a couple of times, yes. which it, the bills don't like don't do like the bills yeah. rush for and drop back in zone like 90 percent of the time i think was the last statistic that i read on that yeah. but they blitzed yeah. at a couple of opportune times against baltimore do you see them blitzing the rookie and really forcing him to make some mistakes i absolutely see that yes yeah that's yes. actually been a that's a hallmark of sean mcdermott and leslie frazier's defense even in buffalo against rookie qbs for a couple of years now mm-hmm. is a time especially situational football timely blitzes third and long third and eight plus You'll probably see a safety blitz here or there, or you'll see Tremaine Edmonds sugar the A-gap like he does. Um, and instead of bailing, he'll either um, loop or he'll charge right, right across the center's face and try to get in there. So mm-hmm. I think you can see some of those. Um, I'd like to see a Milano uh, blitz because those tend to end in sacks. And they um, do. It's just such a challenge because if you're in third and eight, you want Milano and Edmonds in that middle zone you know, where the easy dump-off happens. You yeah. want them there to, to shut that down, but you know Milano is one of the best blitzers in this team. When it, ter- it just he has a nose for finding a gap and getting through quickly, um, and also timing the snap and basically being across the line the same time the ball is. So mm-hmm. um, I can see them sending. I can see them sending some pressure. I would not be at all surprised. The only thing I think that might hold them back is that Poyer's out, um, and so. They they kind of shy away. They I think they sent more blitz pressure against Lamar because they were confident that Poyer could hold down the whole center field alone. I don't know that they'll still do that. They'll, they'll, they might want to keep the two high shell out there, especially with Deontay Johnson's speed. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I mean I, I can see it. Um, I will say, look for that blitz, particularly long down and distance, um, mm-hmm. th- third down and eight or greater blitz is a much much higher probability agreed agreed all right man i feel good oh thank you you just talked me into feeling really good about my five sack call so appreciate yeah. that sure yeah i i'm i'm just you know using the old billsian negativity to uh stay below five sacks because i like if i get too excited about stuff it tends to never happen it is crazy to think that this team is three and one at this stage of the game and we're still still crushing that offensive line man it's like one of the most efficient offenses in the league and we're like man they're they're you know they yeah it's it's really something 
their only loss to this point. Um, they had to line up Josh Allen and the shotgun the entire fourth quarter because they didn't have a single healthy interior lineman. So like right. that's that it's hard to, to be so down on them um, with the kind of clear um, you know obstacles they've been facing. But we'll hopefully get right soon and uh, could see some things popping in the run game that don't involve Josh Allen getting smacked. Absolutely. Not this game, but I, I think in the near future, I think it's a possibility. Yeah. So, all right, man, that, that felt good to catch up on, on two weeks of yeah. past games and then preview this week. Um, as always, for the folks listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And uh, JJ, may sickness or travel not interrupt any more of our future pods. Agree, agree. Let's let's get this back on track and uh, just like the Buffalo Bills run game, you know, make some make some hay here in the pod world. Um, also follow us on Twitter at Buffalo Red Pod. And uh, as always, go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills.